Scripture today is from Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Can we be sure that what we've been taught to believe is true? Can we, as, as Luke says, can we have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught? Um, the BT Enyabwile begins a commentary on Luke by saying this about every human being as a believer. He says, here's the truth. We cannot live without belief of some sort. We may believe in God, or we may believe in our bodies in a material universe that has no meaning. In either case, we are believers. There are no unbelievers in the world, just people who believe in different things. What do you believe? And could you articulate it? What do you believe? Um, I was um, having a conversation with a friend of mine about a week and a half ago, and um, he is, uh, he grew up in, in going to Catholic church, and his wife is also uh, grew up in, in that tradition, and, and for a long time they did not, um, they, they stayed away from church, but they recently, you know, they've had kids, and so they've decided to, to start going back uh, to church. Their families are, are, are both, uh, you know, uh, Catholic, and, and so that sort of eases some tensions there with the in-laws by, by willing to go back to church, and so um, he, he said that the, the, the Monday before, uh, or the Sunday before, he, we had this conversation. She said, we, we went to church, and I felt like a hypocrite, because uh, the priest is, is he's teaching, and uh, he's teaching uh, things that I don't really believe. Like, he, I believe that there is a God, but I don't believe that there's only one way to this God, he said. I, I believe that there's a God, but I don't know that this Trinitarian thing is, makes sense. I don't know that uh, Jesus was a real person. I don't think I need a Savior, um, he is one of those moral guys I know. He is, 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 in terms of being a good person, he really is a really good person. Uh, but he says, I don't, I don't think I need a savior. I don't, I don't really believe any of this, and I feel like a hypocrite because if my kids were to ask me if I believe what's being taught, I'd have to say no, and yet I'm going to continue to take my family to church. There's, there's this, this embracing of a myth that is, is dominant in our culture. And, it, and I think it's starting to wane a little bit, but, but there is this cultural Christianity that people maintain. They, they're willing to participate in it and to some degree proclaim it, but all the while they accept it as myth. And they do that because they feel like there's some positive things that can come out of it, right? To, to embrace religion um, can have a positive effect on society. It can instill good morals within people. It can help uh, develop character and create uh, good boundaries. Like, that religion can have a positive effect in a society, and so they're willing to maintain what they believe to be a myth in order to perpetuate this. Now, as the, this is the Christmas season, we're used to this, right? That there is this belief that is commonly uh, if not held by 
adults is proclaimed to their children. There is this, this, this ideology or this, this thing that we point to that um, creates warm feelings and good memories and promotes goodwill toward men and this whole atmosphere of, of joy and delight that comes by perpetuating what we know isn't really true. That is really a myth. And, and to some degree, for, 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 for a lot of people, that's Christianity. Like you might be here this morning and you're here not because you believe that Jesus is real, not because he was actually born of a virgin, that he lived a righteous life, that he died, that you need him to die for you, that he rose from the dead, that he's actually sitting in heaven now uh, talking to God on our behalf. Like you don't believe that those things are true, but you're willing to participate in this because they could provide you with some benefit. That, that maybe by doing this, you're gonna appease a family member, somebody that you love and, and care about who you know, cares that you go to church, and so you're here for them. Or maybe you're here because of the family ministry, and you, you, you put your kids down, downstairs, and, and you know they're gonna hear a good moral lesson. Maybe it'll help them develop in their character. It, you have good memories of going to church as a kid, and so maybe that would be good for them as well. Or maybe you're in here and you're like, I like singing. I like singing Christmas songs. Like, I, I like being in an atmosphere where I get to hear good music. And, and, and maybe Justin's entertaining enough to be able to sit through 35 or 40 minutes of him. But regardless of whatever it is, you don't actually believe what I'm teaching you or what the Bible is teaching you about the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's a myth to you. You'll embrace it because of other things that it gives you but you don't really believe it. So what do you believe? And, and, and I want you to press in on that. Here's my challenge for you this morning. What is it that you do believe? Can you articulate what you believe? Can you articulate it? Can you say it? Can you say why I believe that this is true? Because the reality is, the, 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 there's a lot of people out there that say, like, I don't know what I believe. You believe something, but you can't articulate it, and you don't really care to, and it's just sort of a shrug of the shoulders, like, I don't know. I don't know. Some of you might be here this morning and you come with questions. You do have questions that you want to probe into. You, you want to know before you drink this Christian Kool-Aid if it has the right answers for you. Is this, in fact, true? And so you have these questions. That's good. And you're, I'm really glad that you're here. I do want to push back on you, though, and I want to challenge you with this. Is if the answers turn out to be other than what you want them to be, will you believe it? For those of you who, who are Christians and you come to, to, to be reminded this morning, you, you do have a faith. You, you do acknowledge what God has done for you. You, you know what he said about himself and you know what, he, what he's done and you see that and, 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 and you acknowledge it and you, you accept his identity that he gives you and this life that he gives you. Like, here's, here's, here's what I challenge you on. Do you believe that so much that you tell other people about it? Like, do you believe that it's true, not just for you, but it's true for the whole world around you? So the question is, 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 is can we accept what we've been taught as the truth? And we're going to dive into that a little bit this morning. Um, this morning, we are going to uh, begin, um, uh, we're going to begin two different series this morning. It's amazing, right? Two different series are going to start right here this morning. The first series is our Advent series. I call it a Christmas series. Ryan and I have different traditions. 
He's going to win this one. Okay. Um, so we're going to start our Advent series, and the series is called Fear Not, and I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, we're going to look at the first two chapters of the gospel according to Luke. And three times in those chapters, we see these angelic beings speaking to these human beings, and they, they, they say to them, don't be afraid or fear not. And the reason why they say that is because the divine is just intersecting, the, the, the spiritual world is just coming into the natural world, and there's all sorts of things that are going to happen that from a human perspective, you cannot explain them, and most often, we as humans, our response to things we can't explain is fear. So these angelic beings say, fear not, don't be afraid. So we're gonna spend the next uh, a few weeks looking at the first two chapters of Luke. But I said that this, uh, this message is also to, to be uh, an introduction to another sermon series. In February, we're actually gonna study the gospel according to Luke. We're gonna look at the first uh, 12 chapters of Luke. Uh, in the summer, we'll come back to 2 Samuel, and then, uh, Lord willing, in the fall, we'll, we'll finish the rest of, of Luke, okay? So, amazing feat, right? Two, two sermon series, one, anyway. It's, it's all right, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I want to pass on a, um, a resource for you to use. Um, there is a, um, a, a Bible study commentary um, series called God's Word for, Me, for You, and uh, there's one that's simply called uh, Luke 1 through 12 for you. And uh, this is a very accessible Bible study. Like, I hope that on Sunday mornings we begin a conversation that you actually continue when you leave here. Right? Whether that's around the dinner table, or it's in a discipleship group, or wherever it is, that this, this is only the start of the conversation. Okay? And so, um, here's a resource that if you've never read the Bible before, it's good for you. If you teach the Bible, it's good for you. And so, um, you can click the QR code right there with your phone and, you know, take you to Amazon two days from now. Prime will show up and you begin your study of Luke. Okay? Uh, so, uh, here's the plan for this morning. We're going to look at five questions, and the first question is, uh, who wrote this book? Whenever you begin a study on the book of the Bible, you should begin with these questions. Who wrote this book? We're going to talk about that. Uh, secondly, what was the purpose behind writing it? Um, thirdly, um, how did Luke go? Oh, shouldn't have said that. I blew the first question away right there. Uh, how did this individual write this book? Um, uh, it, it, he, he writes it differently than other uh, gospels are written. So uh, four, uh, when was it written? The timeliness of it, that matters. And lastly, to whom it was written. And, uh, and so before we get too far along, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that uh, you desire for us to know you, that you uh, are not hiding from us. You have, have communicated us to us from, from the very beginning about who you are and what you've done. Um, and there, there's always been um, you standing there desiring for your creation to know you. And so, Father, I pray that uh, we, would, we would enter into that, that we would step up to the challenge of that. We would um, boldly ask questions, uh, but in humility, we would accept your answers to those questions. I pray that we would not define you for what we would want you to be, but you define yourself for who you actually are. And all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so who wrote this book? Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just cut right to the chase. A guy named Luke wrote it. There we go. This is gonna be a fast sermon. Woo, all right. Uh, another question to, to maybe tackle with this is, is how did this book end up in the New Testament? So the early church uh, fathers, and they looked at all these writings that were out there um, that had to pertain to, to God and to Jesus and all this stuff, and they had to determine, like, how do we know what we should include in the canon of Scripture? 
And so they had five criteria that needed to be met. Uh, One was the book written by a prophet of God. Was this book written by somebody who heard from God and proclaimed what he heard to people? Uh, Secondly, was the writer uh, authenticated by miracles? to confirm the message. In other words, um, was there, there was a supernatural force at, at work demonstrating that this comes from God. Thirdly, does the book tell the truth about uh, who God is uh, without falsehood or contradiction? So they would compare that work uh, with, with the Old Testament and with, with other accepted uh, works and say, does this compare with what's already been written or does it co- contradict it? Um, uh, four, does the book evince a divine capacity to transform lives? Does it actually make a difference? Or is it just going to tell people things we already know and it's not really going to result in any sort of life change? Because the Holy Spirit's power is not work, at work through it. And then lastly, was the book accepted as, as God's word by the people to whom it was first delivered? In other words, the first people that got this, did they read this and be like, God is speaking to me through this, Right? And so uh, Luke uh, met the criteria really, really easily. He was readily accepted into the canon of Scripture without um, a doubt. But Luke is different than the other four Gospels that we find at the beginning of the New Testament. It's different because Luke uh, did not uh, have firsthand knowledge of these events. Okay? He was not an eyewitness to these events. Uh, Luke is preceded by uh, Mark. That was the first gospel written. Um, we believe that Mark, he got uh, his account directly from the Apostle Peter. That, that you could really call this, you know, the gospel according to Peter written down by Mark, all right? And so that was the first gospel written. The second was, was Matthew. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He had firsthand knowledge. And then John, which comes after Luke, also written by an apostle of Jesus who had firsthand knowledge. Luke didn't have that, all right? He writes in the third person, okay? Uh, we also know that he wrote the book uh, called Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, And what's interesting about Acts is it begins off the same way as Luke does. He's writing in a third person about things that he didn't witness but were recounted to him. But then something happens. In Acts chapter 16, he starts writing in the first person. He joins Paul's missionary team and he becomes part of the story. And he ends up with Paul uh, in Paul's imprisonment, the end of, of Acts, living there and ministering to Paul. Well, everything that we know about Luke comes from uh, what Paul says about him. So uh, Paul says this in Colossians 4.14. He calls him the doctor, uh, giving us a clue as to his profession, his education, and maybe uh, the way that, that he thought. Um, he uh, calls him a dear friend. In Philemon, Paul calls him a fellow worker. Uh, he also uh, he closes his second letter to Timothy um, while, while speaking of Luke's faithfulness by saying, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. And then um, uh, we also see uh, from Colossians 4, uh, 12, that, it, that Luke is a Gentile. What that means is the only non-Jewish believer that contributes to the New Testament is this guy named Luke, right? So uh, that's who he is. That's who wrote it. The uh, question is why. Why did he write Uh, So let's go back and look at verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. 
most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So we learn a couple things there. One, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not the only four writings about Jesus. They're the only ones who make it into Scripture. There were other people that wrote about Jesus, uh, letting us know that there is, is more going on here than, uh, than we're told, but only God in his wisdom decided that these four books would be canonized into Scripture. Um, but the thing I want us to, to zoom in on there, when we talk about uh, why he wrote, he says, he writes about things that have been accomplished among us. Things that have accomplished, things that are fulfilled among us, some of your translations might say. It doesn't say things that happened among us. It says accomplished, and that's really, really important. You see, Luke is pointing back at the Old Testament and saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. When, uh, when we ans- ask this question, how can we have certainty that what we believed is true, we can be, be certain because of, of one thing. We're gonna talk about three ultimately, but the first thing is this. We have a biblical faith. It's a biblical faith. And here's what, what, what I mean by that. Um, there's a, a, a guy named Lee Strobel who wrote a book years ago called A Case for Christ. And uh, Strobel was an atheist and he was an investigative reporter and he set about trying to disprove Christianity. And in the process, he ended up being converted to Christianity. But he follow, wrote a follow-up book called A Case for Christmas. And, and in that book, he interviewed a, a Jewish man uh, who uh, was, was very against uh, Christ, um, against you know, the New Testament. In his mind, uh, the New Testament was written for neo-Nazis. And so he never picked it up, he never looked at it, and uh, he was quite against uh, any teaching of Jesus until a Christian pastor said, why don't you pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to verify or disqualify Jesus as your Messiah? Why don't you pray? And so he does. He, says, he prays and he starts reading. He, he, he writes this. Uh, this is from the interview. He said, I was reading the Old Testament every day and seeing one prophecy after another. For instance, Deuteronomy talked about a prophet greater than Moses who will come and whom we should listen to. I thought, who could be greater than Moses? It sounded like the Messiah, someone as great and as respected as Moses, but a greater teacher and a greater authority. I grabbed a hold of that and went searching for him. And so he dives into the pages of the Old Testament and he comes away with nearly uh, 50 uh, prophecies that were told about what the Messiah would be like that needed to be filled. There are 48 things that spoke of this Messiah, this future king, this future prophet, this future priest who would come and reveal who God was, who would reign and who would rule and who would uh, stand in in, in intercession between us and God and, and be our advocate and come and save. Like There were 48 different things that he saw and so he began to do the math. Uh, well, before I get there, here's some of the things that, that he, he, he honed in on. First, that this Messiah would be born of a virgin. Where this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Um, he, he saw uh, that uh, his ancestry, that this Messiah, he had to have a, a particular ancestry. He looked at the Psalms and he saw uh, this, this Messiah's betrayal the false accusations that would go against him, the manner in which he would be killed, that he would be pierced. This is actually, this predates the invention of crucifixion. He saw that there. He, he saw uh, his, even his resurrection. He looks at all of this and he says, what are the odds of a person actually uh, meeting or fulfilling all of these prophecies? And what he determined was, it was one chance in 100 million billion that one individual 
would complete just eight. Not all 48, just eight. Fulfill just eight of those prophecies. He says, it's millions of times greater than the total number of people who have ever walked on the planet. So he, he goes to Isaiah 53 and he sees this suffering servant and he thinks, this looks like Jesus. And so he says, the Christians have changed our Bible. The Christians have taken hold of the Old Testament and they've twisted it and turned it around so that Jesus would fulfill these prophecies. And so he reaches out to a family friend who gives them a, 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 a Jewish Bible and he begins to pour through it. It's the exact same thing. The exact same thing. You see, we have a biblical faith. When Luke says the things that have been accomplished among us, these are people who have experienced the prophecies of God come true right in front of their eyes. We have a biblical faith. Can you trust that what you've been taught is true about Jesus? Yes, because you have a biblical faith. Let's talk about how Luke goes about writing this. He says that he's been following things closely for some time. He talks about eyewitnesses. Luke wasn't, didn't have firsthand knowledge of what happens, so he goes out and looks for it. Uh, Luke is the ultimate investigative reporter. He's looking for answers. He's not looking for uh, cute stories or nice narratives that would be fun to embellish. He's looking for the truth. Some people look at the way that Luke wrote, and they, they believe that what he was writing was actually a defense for Paul in his trial in Rome that he wrote it with that kind of accuracy in mind. He wrote uh, in a form of classical Greek that the rest of the New Testament is not written in. To highly educated people, he has this desire to present the truth, the truth in a believable, real way, like he's in a courtroom, like he's presenting evidence that he has collected. He takes this investigative reproach. So like, when Luke records a private conversation that happens between Elizabeth and Mary, there is no possible way he could know that that happened unless he talked to one of them. He gives no possible way of knowing the, 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 the dialogue of that unless he talked to them. Luke also incor incorporates historic outside uh, events, like who reigned in this place at what time. He, he talks about um, a calendar where priests come and serve in the temple, and, and Zechariah was a part of that. This is a calendar that could be verified. There are things outside of Luke's text that he can lean to and he can point to and say, if you want to know if what I'm saying is true, you can verify it by these things. He writes like an investigative reporter in order to prove his point. He asks difficult questions and he pursues the truth. Uh, the next thing I want to say in answer to this, this question, can we believe that what, that what we've been taught is true? The answer is yes, because we have a historic, historical faith. We have a historical faith. Um, this leads us to uh, talking about the timing of when Acts was written, uh, or when Luke was written. Luke was written before Acts. Uh, but Acts ends really abruptly with Paul in prison. It doesn't talk about Paul's death. It doesn't talk about his martyrdom. Why not? Because it was written before that. Uh, Paul uh, dies in A.D. 63. It, it, it stands to reason that Luke and Acts were finished before AD 63. That means that it was written within 30 years of Jesus' death. 30 years. All right, now here's a test for you. 
if, uh, if some guy comes out and he says, here's a guy who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He had a friend named John who was killed. Um, he uh, performed miracles. He fed thousands. He, um, he, he was crucified. Uh, there, the, he, he was raised to dead and he ascended into heaven. And it only happened 30 years ago. Do you think that there'd be people around that say, mm, I could prove that wrong, right? 30 years ago, I remember uh, watching a newsreel um, of uh, a, a bunch of reporters with, with lights and cameras aimed at, at, at the ocean as Navy SEALs come out of the ocean onto the beaches of Somalia. Anybody remember that? If I told you, like, once upon a time, like, uh, there's news agencies that knew before the Navy SEALs, the most secretive group in the world, was going to land when and where, and they were there, beat them there with camera. Like, would you believe what I had to say? You could Google it, but how many of you guys remember that? Anybody remember that? No? I guess you have to Google it. I have... <laughs> Nobody in the first service remembered I was 13, I remember that. Like, there was this Navy SEAL talking to the, the reporters and he was angry. Like, this was supposed to be a confidential operation. And the reporters, fine, all right. <laughs> I guess of the points I've ever made, that's pretty weak. But you could verify, something that happened only 30 years ago, even without the internet, you could find people that could prove it or disprove it. Like, it would be crazy for Luke to write all of these things within so short a time period of when they actually happened. And on top of that, Luke wouldn't be rewarded with money or fame or power. He would be killed. Like, to say Jesus is Lord, like, to say uh, Jesus is the Son of God, right, to, to say these sorts of things, that's treason against Caesar. That doesn't get you a palace, that gets you beheaded. Like Luke writing in so short proximity of all of these things that happened. It was because he wanted the truth to be known. You have an historical faith. Now let's begin to look at, at the question of who he was writing to. Look again at verse three. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. I, I want a sidebar here. How many of you guys have just Googled the Somalia thing? <laughs> Nobody? I thought for sure some of you were like, I gotta check that out. Okay, never mind. Go back. So he, he, he writes this uh, to most excellent Theophilus. Now, um, uh, Acts is addressed the same way, but outside of, of Luke and Acts, we see Theophilus nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture. And um, uh, we, we don't find even a historical figure outside of Scripture that would be relevant to, 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 to what we're talking about here. Uh, Luke does say most excellent Theophilus. Um, Paul, when he addresses the governor Festus on, when he's on trial in Caesarea, he says most excellent Theophilus. So maybe uh, Theophilus was a real person who was in a position of authority um, and maybe had, had some money. He, he could have even you know, financed Luke's writing um, and that's why he's, he's addressed to, to, it to him. Or it could be that, that Luke is actually using a pseudonym. It could be that Luke is writing to us. The word Theophilus means lover of God. He's writing to the lover of God. Why? To remind us that what we have believed is true. To the lover of God. 
the third thing I want to point out to us is that we can believe that what, been, what has been delivered to us is true because we have a relational faith. We have a relational faith. Do, do you understand that we don't have a God who hides from us? We don't have a God who started everything in motion and set the top spinning and who's just sitting, sort of sitting back, like waiting for everything to fall apart. We don't have a God who's a simple observer to all of this. We have a God who is not only observing it, but he's guiding it and he's controlling it and he's got his hand involved in it. And he's even gone to such great lengths that he's taken on flesh and he's come into it. We don't have a God who's trying to hide himself from us. Jeremiah uh, says this in Jeremiah 29. Again, this is to a people who've been uh, taken away into captivity, um, and yet to this people who's in captivity, he writes this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We have a God who's not hiding. We have a God who wants to be found. We have a God who welcomes the questions. We have a God who wants a relationship with us. We, we know that, that what is before us is true because we have a relational faith. We have a relational faith. Um, the, the reality is, is not, not everybody wants that. Think about it this way. Um, some people come to belief in something with their head first. Their mind leading the way, right? And so they ask the questions, what are the facts? What are the details? Like, what, what, what are the measurables? Like, what, what are the things to, to convince me logically? And so that you go into it with your mind first. And so if, if your mind says this is true, then your heart will follow after it and you'll believe it, right? Some of us come to believe the opposite way, where we lead with our heart, and our mind follows. And so if we come across something and we like it, it has a lot to do with our desires. If we desire this, if we want this, then we'll convince our mind of the logic afterwards. It's a heart first and then our, our minds. And the reality is, is not everybody wants this God. Not everybody desires that this God exists. It's not a logical decision. It's a heart decision. It's a desire decision that changes everything else. Jesus was confronted by these kinds of people all the time. In fact, they were the most religious people. In John 8, he's confronting these group of Pharisees, and he says this to them. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And what's interesting about that is that word say there is this Greek word, lalia. It sort of means like nonsense. It, 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 it's like Jesus is saying, I, I, I've spoken to you the truth. It's verified by the prophets that you have and you hold in your hands. You've seen my miracles. You've seen me feed people. You've seen me raise people from the dead. You've seen me restore sight to the blind. And everything I tell you is just nonsense to you. He goes on. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
The word there is, is logos. It's, it's this picture of truth. John, when he begins his, uh, his gospel, says, in the beginning was the, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's calling Jesus the very word of God. He's the very communication of what God is like. He's the very truth of who he is and what he's gonna do. He is the word of God. And, and he says to these, these Pharisees, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Some of you are here this morning and you're willing to embrace the myth of Christianity for the positive things that it can do for you, your family, your kids. But it's a myth. It's not really true. There's, there's not just one way to God. Jesus isn't really your Savior, and you don't really need a Savior. You're willing to accept this as myth, but you will not fully believe it because you don't want to. You don't want to because you're not looking for God. The reality is, you believe something. What is it that you believe? What is it that you believe? What is it that you put your hope in? What is it that becomes the, the, the north of your compass that guides you throughout life? What is it that you believe? Can you articulate that? If you would hear this morning and you would say, I, I can't believe that Jesus is the only way to God. Okay, do you believe that because that's what your heart wants to believe or that's what your culture is telling you to believe or maybe there's an enemy of God that wants you to believe that? Have you really inspected that? Have you really asked those questions? Have you really gone down that road and said, all right, if this religion leads to God and this religion leads to God and this religion, I'm gonna investigate all of them. I'm actually gonna investigate with, with my mind. I'm gonna investigate with my heart. Like, I'm going to find out the answers. I'm not gonna go through life just saying, I don't know. We are asking the questions of eternity here. We are, we are talking about the, the most important questions a human being can possibly ask. And for you to sit back and go, I don't know. I don't know. This has eternal consequences for you. If you're a parent, this has eternal consequences for your children and how you teach them. This is the most important thing that you have to figure out. And we have a God who's saying, come find me. I'm here. Ask the questions. I'm not afraid of your questions. I exist, and I love you, and I love you so much that I've sent my son to die for you. And yes, you need somebody to die for you. Because you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. You should compare yourself to the holiness of God. And when you do that, you'll see how bad you need a Savior. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm here to ask the questions. I'm here because I need answers to these questions. Awesome. What will you do with those answers when you get them? Will you embrace them as true? Or will you say to myself, yourself, if this is true, then it means that I'm not God. If this is true, that means I'm not the Lord of my life. If this is true, I have to submit to something. I have to submit to someone. Are you, are you prepared to find out that you're not the king of you? And lastly to you, Christian, 
you would say, I believe this. God has found me and I have found him and I've found an identity because of him. And I know who I am. I know the hope that I get to have. Do you believe that so much you're willing to tell other people about it? See, that's the test of whether you not believe something. <laughs> whether or not you're willing to actually proclaim it to other people. Can you proclaim? Can you articulate what it is that you believe? That's for anybody in the room. Can you actually put into words what it is that you believe and why? Why? We have a God that wants to be found. This is not a check your brain or check your heart at the door thing. Bring your mind, bring your heart, engage him, search for him, call out for him if you actually want to find him. He wants to be found by you. Do you want to find him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. When our relationship was lost and broken with you, we hid and you came after us. We sowed a righteousness together of our own apart from you to cover our shame. We hid from you and you have not hidden from us. Throughout redemptive history, you have desired to pursue us to teach us who you actually are. You've come after us over and over again and it culminated with you actually taking on flesh. Lord Jesus, you came as this baby, Emmanuel, God with us, so that we might know what God is like, so that we might see his love in you, so that we might know the great lengths that God is willing to go to in order to have a restored relationship with us so far that you actually came and exchanged your righteousness for our sin. That you went to the cross to take the blame that we deserve on you. And you gave us your, your righteous, perfect life. And what's more, Father, you give us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to give us boldness and to give us courage and to proclaim the truth of what we believe. Father, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who has hardened themselves against you, they would say they, they do not believe in what you've said about yourself. I pray that you would confront them. In whatever way that looks like, for those who are here looking for answers. I pray that they would knock and I pray that you would open an answer. I pray for the Christian here, the one who is here to be reminded of the truth. I pray that they would acknowledge that this truth is not to remain bottled up inside of them, but should come pouring forth from their own lips. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.